When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is November 9th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome into the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. I hope you guys are having a great day, a great week. On this episode, you're probably saying, Evan, oh my God, this episode is much longer than most episodes you do. And I would say you're correct. You're correct. This episode is much, much longer. Or not much, much longer. Probably just much longer uh, than the normal episode. I had on Kirk Ludicky this week for the first time ever. Uh, editor of New England Hockey Journal crazy hockey resume uh was with the omaha lancers in the ushl for a while has been scouting forever uh covered the game forever i mean just a hockey guy um and had him on to discuss the bruins defensive issues some offensive issues and then it, we got into a really interesting conversation on patrice bergeron uh the last probably 10 to 15 minutes of the of the show so it was worth it. It was very worth it. The time was worth it. This is very worth your time. Um, he gives awesome insight. He's a really smart guy. Um, and I, I really, with, he's with New England Hockey Journal. Can't recommend it enough. Um, so he'll be someone that, let me know. I think he's someone that we should definitely uh, have on a bit more. Very interesting guy. Um, and yeah, so that is today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It is brought to you by our good friends over at Bet Online, as well as into dispensaries, which hopefully you guys are going and getting your free t-shirts. Come on. It's free t-shirts or it's a penny t-shirts. Excuse me. It's not free. It's for a penny. So uh, go there now. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Kirk Ludicky. And we're here with Kirk Ludicky. Kirk, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Evan. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course, of course. So for people who don't know, you are, you're not new to the market by any means, but you got a new job this year, uh, as editor of New England Hockey Journal and, uh, New York Hockey Journal. Uh, before that, you were, uh, four years of the assistant GM of the, uh, Omaha Lancers in the USHL, as well as the director of hockey ops. You've been a scout for many, many years. Uh, <laughs> you've been around the game quite a while. Um, how's it been coming back to New England with this? Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, Omaha was a great spot, but there's not nearly as, as uh, much hockey there. And, uh, so, you know, there's, I think, I think there were, I want to say seven sheets total ice in, in, in Omaha proper with a few, 
rinks outside the city city outskirts. But you know, typically, if I wanted to see hockey outside of Omaha, it was drive to Minnesota, uh, or, or drive to two hours and, and a quarter to Des Moines, uh, Iowa. So being here is is great because there's always something going on at all levels. You've got the Bruins, you've got college hockey, you've got the AHL, you've got junior, you've got uh, niche AAA. And of course, prep season's getting ready to, to get started. And I've even been watching 07 Bantams and uh, we just published a story on that. So yeah, we'd love people to come to our website. Of course, it is it is a subscription-based service, but what you're getting is Bruins coverage, hockey at all levels, and the future guys in the NHL. I mean, we're spending a lot of time, myself, Jeff Cox, and our team of writers are really good, and, and uh, we're peeling back the onion. We're a lot more analytical in nature. We're not giving you anything that uh, you're going to find easily out there on, on your own, just in the open source. So if you're a draft, Nick, and you're into really finding out what's going on with the hockey at all levels in the New England region and even outside the region. We're looking at the top players, regardless if they, if they come in and we see them live, we're talking about them. Yeah, no, I highly recommend you guys. It's, it's funny though, being out thinking of Omaha compared to, to Boston or place in, in New England. It's, as you said, there's so much ice around here, but out in Omaha, there's the university of Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that right. hockey yeah, team is pretty good this year. So that, no, yeah, that's something. Yeah, um, no, no question. And they play in the in the NCHC, which is a great conference. I mean, you talk awesome. hockey East is a terrific conference in the Big Ten, but the NCHC. I mean, you're talking, I mean, you get North Dakota in there, Minnesota Duluth, uh, just uh, and 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 then teams like Nebraska Omaha was five minutes from our arena and got to know the the coaching staff there. They're very well, and uh, we've got a couple former Lancers on that team. And uh, yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, I grew up uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, thinking that Nebraska was was all about corn and nothing else, I didn't realize a how cold it is. But you know, it's it's you know it's right down there or or up there, I should say, by South Dakota, North Dakota. So it gets really cold in Nebraska, and unlike uh, uh, New England, we don't have the mountains and the forests to cut the wind. So uh, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. But yeah, HockeyJournal.com. We're uh, we're talking about everything, and you know, we had, had dropped a column on Patrice Bergeron most recently on Sunday. So. Uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have uh, more folks coming in and checking out, checking us out. And, uh, and I have the Rinkwise podcast as well. We just had Ben Barr, head coach, University of Maine, and we've got a couple of really good guests, including a former Bruins prospect and star BC uh, player back in the day uh, who, who told some pretty interesting stories. So, uh, yeah, we, downloads are free, so I encourage people to listen. Yeah, I love Ben Ben Barr, I knew him from my time at UMass. So, uh, great coach up at Maine. Uh, but let's dive into the Bruins stuff. Let's sure. dive into there's only two games in the past six days. Now we got, uh, four games coming up in six. The schedule is just kind of all over the place, but, uh, we'll get to the Bergeron stuff later on because you had a great tweet and a great column about Bergeron, obviously, this past week. But we're going to start with some negative stuff. Why not? Get into the negative stuff. Get that hey, out of the way first. Yeah, we got to do be negative a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But so there are some defensive issues with this team. I think that's very evident after the game against uh, the Maple Leafs on Saturday night. Um, there's so many, it feels like there's so many little issues, but I think the big one coming out of Saturday night's game was Derek Forbert going against those top lines from Toronto. I'm interested to hear your perspective on, do you, I, I obviously, you know, it takes time to adjust to a new system, absolutely 100%. But it feels like some of the issues Forbert's having with going against top lines are stuff that might be more long-term for him. 
I know he's the only guy they have back there, but what do you see with a guy like Forbert? So he's not playing well right now. And uh, in a perfect world, he would have come into Boston and had a seamless transition and been, you know, great. I, what I would, what I would say is, you know, go roll the, roll the tape back to last spring when they were playing the Edmonton Oilers and he was with the Winnipeg Jets, did a pretty good job against the Edmonton Oilers. And last time I checked, they have a guy, I don't know, number, where's 97, pretty Who good. Who is that guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's all right. Uh, recently <laughs> dropped, uh, some, some video dropped recently with him skating through an entire team, I think the New York Rangers, uh, to score a highlight real goal. So, so again, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, uh, and I don't think number 28 would either, and, and certainly Bruce Cassidy has not. Uh, he's got to be better. Um, Three million a year. Now, listen, it, in the grand scheme, when you look at what the Bruins were up against, you know, lose Jeremy Lozon to, to, to the expansion draft. Kevin Miller, albeit right shot guy, but Kevin Miller has to retire. Uh, the, the Bruins were kind of in a situation where they haven't had a lot of uh, production out of recent drafts on the left side, probably their best defensive left shot D period. They traded to the New York Rangers. And I think we talked about that at the last game and Ryan Lindgren, I believe it was you that brought him up. Evan. It was. was good. Yeah. So, Boom. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, unfortunately you look at, you look at Matt Grizzlick, you look at Mike Riley, those guys are puck movers. They're, they are not, classic defense first guys. That's not to say that they can't defend, but we talk about in fans and, and, and the euphemism euphemisms over the year have been shut down defensemen, stay at home defensemen. I think the stay at home defenseman doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, that was kind of code for can't skate turn style, but big uh, in the old dead puck era of clutching and grabbing, they could just clamp onto you and tackle you to the ice. And, <laughs> and they really didn't have to be that mobile. You, you don't, teams don't have room for those guys anymore. So, you know, it's really, you know, the two way or the offensive minded defenseman. It's now it's all about, you know, can you impact a game in all zones, play a lot of minutes and, and really for coaches, especially someone like Bruce Cassidy, that is a, a very structure and detail oriented coach. And let's be face, let's face it. All of the coaches in the NHL have to be that way uh, these days. And you can't really run a loosey goosey style of defensive zone structure and expect to win a lot of hockey games, even in the NHL, unless you have the old Edmonton Oilers uh, lineup from the eighties and maybe, you know, you'll, you'll probably do all right, but Might it's help. all about, yeah, it's all about structure. And uh, so a guy like, like Forbert, you know, he was brought in because he has size, he's mobile. He's really not much of a point producer as we've seen, although, you know, he, he, he was one of the first D to score a goal might have been the first, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, I know he beat uh, might have Charlie McAvoy. I think he was. He, and he, you know, he just threw the puck to to to, to the net uh, against San Jose from the point. It wasn't a highlight real goal by any stretch. But that's you know, that's what you what you say your D really need to do from you know when they have the puck at the point. Sometimes it's just about getting shots through. And unfortunately for 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 Derek Forbert and his in his his defensive game, that like that's his bread and butter, and he's really been struggling. And I think it might be a case of maybe trying to do too much, maybe understanding that he's being counted on to be that rock of Gibraltar, so to speak, on the back end, on the left side, you've got Brandon Carlo. I think if you look at uh, Forbert's statistics in terms of his, his five on five play, probably similar to Carlo uh, in terms of the numbers. Uh, but unfortunately in a game like against he had uh, Saturday night in, in Toronto, 
you just get exposed because you're you're going against those high end guys and and if you you know if you don't end a play or you're you're unable to get a you know get get a full possession of that puck that attempted pass and you're kind of there it's kind of like a leaky goalie for for a, or a leaky goal for a goalie you know the shot hits the goalie and goes in it, it looks worse than if he had just been beaten cleanly and it's the same thing for a defenseman if he's got a stick in position but the puck you know hits it and hops over it or he can't control it and it bounces away and then then the opponent corrals it and puts it in the back of the net. Unfortunately, uh, that D is the goat, and I'm not talking about Tom Brady, greatest all-time <laughs> kind of goat. Different kind He's of goat. The, different kind of goat. You know, the, the not good kind of goat. And uh, and and so I think he, I think he's fighting it, and uh, he's capable of infinitely more. You know, but and I saw this online today, and oh um, God, goodness, I am sorry about that notification. And that noise. Oh, we didn't even hear it. So you're good. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, didn't hear it. All right. Um, Okay. Uh, So, but, but getting back and I saw something on, on online today that I thought was good. And that is Boston always has to have a whipping boy. And right now, when you look at that defense, it's, it's, it's 28. Now, can he, I think you asked at the beginning, can he get better? I think he can. Uh, I think he's experienced enough. We're talking about a, a player who was at one time, the 14th overall selection in the draft. Big reason for that was he was. Uh, we thought there might be some upside to him. He was kind of a late blooming guy coming out of Minnesota, uh, and he's from Duluth, and he was on the national team, and he was big, and he was rangy, and and he was showing on that U.S. national team that had some pretty good D's on him, and Justin Falk, and Jared Tenorti, and you know guys like that on that on that 2010. Uh, when Jack Campbell was was the goaltender, you know, was was his was his teammate on that USA team. So, you know, it, it was looking like Forbert was really going to going to emerge as a as a as a legitimate two way threat offensively, defensively. He always had it, and just hasn't happened. And so, I think there's a tendency, especially among fandom, many fans aren't watching the games closely. So they look at you know at least they're not watching the guy that was a first round pick in 2010 who, you know, leaves the LA Kings and ends up in Winnipeg. You know, they're not watching him closely defensively. All they do is they, Hey, the Bruins signed him for 3 million, three years and you know, three per, and they look at the points and they're like, Oh, this guy, you know, what? that's an overpayment. You know, that's the, you know, that was what I saw right off the bat. I'm like, Oh, that's an overpayment. You know what? Right now. Yeah. It doesn't look, it doesn't look good, but I think, I think if you give Forbert time to kind of settle in, he he has room to stabilize because he really is, I think, a, an accomplished defensive defenseman who has the ability to limit scoring chances. And I think I'll be honest with you: if you look at Bruce Cassidy's reaction, it was pretty strong. I yeah. don't think I'm mincing words. I don't think he minced words. It. And no, he did. That's a that's a sign that more is expected. If you are looking at a player where you know, he's not, he doesn't have a strong reputation as a defensive player. Maybe Bruce Cassidy is a little more, well, you know, he's trying to find his way. Maybe he's a little less harsh in his assessment. And so one perspective I would offer up to fans, the fair-minded folks, because let's be honest, the people that are, you know, have decided that, you know, 28 is, is, is overpaid and he's a bum and he can't defend Nothing I say is going to convince those. those you should be selling shirts in the pro shop, Kirk. Don't you <laughs> no, know? Hey, you know, look, look, everyone, look, listen, hockey's a, you know, unfortunately, 
especially uh, sports in the, the NHL level, it's a results oriented business. And he was brought in to, to play a certain role. Uh, he needs to be playing upwards of 20 minutes a night to be effective and an effective signing for, for what the Bruins expected out of him. And he, he hasn't earned that trust. And one of the things I would, would talk to players in the USHL about, especially when they were maybe you know, in a similar situation and they were trying to find their identity or try to establish a bigger role, I would say to them, there's one, there's one word that matters between you and the coach and the coach is, and that is it's a T word and it's not teamwork and it's trust. And that's the true, it's, that is true at every level players. If you really want to be successful on any team you're on, focus on earning your coach's trust, because if you have your coach's trust and guess what, that means you're playing at the end of the game, uh, in a tight game, one goal game, whether you're up or down, if you're a D, you're on the ice if he trusts you. If he doesn't trust you, you're not on the ice. It's as simple as that. And I think right now it's it's not a stretch to say that right now the coaches aren't as trusting in number 28. And it's a shame because he has it in him uh, to be trustworthy. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say my one of my assistant coaches in Omaha, Colton St. Clair, was on the North Dakota uh you know, a college team with, with Forbert and spoke very highly of him as a, as a defenseman, as a teammate, um, talked about his range, talked about his heart, you know, his physicality and a hard defender, hard guy to beat. And just a really good teammate who you know, wanted to win and, and wanted to fit in and, 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 and put the team first. So I think Derek Forbert has, has the, uh, the moxie and the makeup to be successful in Boston. Unfortunately, this is, this can be an unforgiving Sports town, and he, and I think if you contrast him with a, a guy like John Moore, John Moore was has never been a top defensive presence. John Moore was always a a guy who really had he was a first round pick like Forbert, uh, who could really wheel, and he was more of a you know move pucks and 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 skate and join the rush and offensive, and they, and you hoped that the defense was going to be strong enough to, to to log a lot of minutes, but you know hope's not a method. And so they're a little different in that regard. And I think if you look at Forbert, he has a chance to to stabilize it a little easier than Moore has had to do. And he's been battling injuries. And, and look, to Moore's credit, he's doing well in Providence, and he's getting a lot of positive comments uh, thrown his way by by Ryan Mujanel. But at the end of the day, Moore was signed to be in Boston, and he was yes. signed to be a middle. Yeah, he was. He was. He should have been on that left side. And the fact that they had to bring in a Derek Forbert in the off season is, is telling um, because again, you can't hear, you know, uh, let's see, Matt Grizzlick, Mike Riley, uh, John Moore on the left side as your, as your top three, you know, where's the, where's the defense. Right. But again, results oriented business forwards, not really hasn't delivered thus far. I think he can turn it around, um, but he's going to have to get harder and he's going to have to get back. And, and a lot of times coaches will say, simplify it. Just, just, just break it down. Keep it simple. Move pucks north. Get end plays. That's what I'm not saying enough from him. And that is use his size and his strength to take a guy that's trying to beat him wide, drive him into the wall, and just end that play. He, he looks at times like he's trying to use his stick and he's reaching. And he's trying to he's trying to affect the poke check, maybe because he doesn't trust his mobility, or maybe he's not quite comfortable in the system yet, and so he doesn't maybe trust himself. And so instead, you know, if you if you don't fully commit to a play and, and take a guy and just absolutely pl- plaster him into the boards, and you're reaching, uh, these guys are so skilled. A lot of times, a, a Marner or a, or a Matthews 
or uh, a Tavares is just going to, you know, take the puck right around you. And now all of a sudden you've got bigger problems. Yeah. So that's the thing with a guy like Forbert. And we saw this on Saturday night. There was a play on, I think it was a Matthews goal. The first goal he scored where he goes to poke, check the puck away from Marner and he, it barely moves. And it's like, you know, that's a play where either fully commit to the guy or just, you know, put two hands on the stick and knock the puck away. And Cassidy was pretty adamant about how bad that play was. And I think it kind of hits at this whole point of, and this was something I was talking about during the offseason, Connor Ryan as well on this podcast was, you know, maybe Forbert's more only a first pairing guy, depending on the matchup, right? If you're going against right. a smaller shiftier team, you throw Grizzlick with McAvoy and hope that Grizzlick shiftiness can maybe uh, stop a guy like Marner better than a Forbert could. Uh, or whereas if you're playing a bigger, heavier team, Forbert goes up with McAvoy. So I think that might be the the move more, but that's tough also on all three guys to not play with the same people all the time to be playing against, uh, you know, tough competition with a partner. You ha- you're not playing with all the time. Obviously, Grizzlick and McAvoy have a very good chemistry. So I don't think that's the issue. It's more, you know, putting forward with McAvoy and having, you know, different types of things. So I think, uh, maybe the matchups is the way to go because as you said, it just feels like there's a lot of reaching and he's just kind of a turnstile out there and that can't happen. And again, it comes down to this was something you said to me years ago. You know, when you have a team that's bad and you look back a few years, typically you can look back at bad drafting. Now, the Bruins are not bad. I'm not saying for the Bruins to be listeners out there, I'm not saying no, the Bruins are bad. bad. No, I mean, maybe the, not bad. Maybe bad is not the word to use, but you know, I think we, I don't think anyone is going to argue that they could be could be more productive in, in, in their recent drafts. And it's hard, right? They're, they're, they, they don't have pick position and they don't have pick volume. But, uh, but yeah, bad I wouldn't agree with, but at the same time, yeah, I just would – I would just contextualize it because, again, nuance, sometimes nuance kind of lost on the Internet. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm with you. Not bad. But, but, but again, I, as I said earlier, Evan, what did I say? They haven't had the production out of the drafts. And the one guy that I think if he was wearing black and gold and he was in this lineup, things would be a lot different. And that's Ryan Lindgren. Yes. And again, it's that you're this holes down the middle. And I think people are kind of lost, you know, obviously McAvoy and Carlo hit, but not a lot on the left side on D. So really with the draft, it's been down the middle, which we'll talk about a ton going on throughout the year and the left side on defense, which has been tough, but a guy like Derek Forbert, you know, he might rebound, you know, it's like, I wouldn't say it's a super safe bet that he'll rebound, but it's a pretty good bet. But when we're talking about really good bets, we're talking about our good friends over at Bet Online. They're back and they're better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and hockey season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all basketball, football, and hockey action this season. Head on over to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, right up to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Again, promo code CLNS50. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. It'd be interesting if you bet on Derek, Derek Forbert, I guess. If that was like a prop bet. You know, is he going to rebound? What's his I would bet be? on him. I would yeah, bet you on can him. Bet. I think he'll be I think right. that'd be a good odds bet. <laughs> I think he'll be all right. I mean, again, you're, you're, you got to remember, he's he's good. He's His foundation is his defensive game. I think his confidence is, is, is the issue, and he's adjusting. And in a perfect world, 
you know, everyone expects guys just come in and pick everything up right away. Uh, and, and, and that's not happening. And, 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 you know, the team is, is not settled up front either. We, we've had, they, they were, the Bruins have had injuries and when the Polino's out and, and uh, I know we're going to talk a, a little bit about the forwards here soon. So I would just leave it at that. I, I, if I, if I had to guess, because again, I go back and I look at some of the, the analytics and the, and the statistical analysis, and he's not that far off from Brandon Carlo. It's just, unfortunately for him, he's been exposed on a few really tough plays and the puck's gone in the net and the, you know, the coaches is, is, is talking about it. And so that spotlight, when it shines on you, man, it's, 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 it's bright and the heat is on as, as we would play in Omaha, the heat is on. Derek forward, but I think he, I think he's, uh, I think he, he has a good chance of bouncing back and turning it around. And, and in Boston, that's mag, that heat is magnified by, uh, 30 uh, to 40 percent. <laughs> uh, but yes, but anyways, on offense, the offensive side of things you mentioned getting to the offensive side. So we'll, we'll dive into that. That also has not been as positive, not as negative as maybe the defensive game has been, but, uh, it's funny. Ty Anderson wrote, uh, for 95, the sports hub this week, or it was after, uh, the game against the Maple Leafs. He said, a not so fun fact for you. The Bruins are one of two teams in the NHL to have at least five shooters with at least 14 shots with zero goals. The other, the Chicago Blackhawks, who he refers to as the Chernobyl Blackhawks right now. Uh, you just don't want to yeah. breathe the same air. Uh, they are right now. But uh, the Bruins right now have uh, five guys, Trent Frederick, Eric Holla, Craig Smith, Matt, uh, Matt Krizlik, and Brandon Carlo. Obviously, Carlo's not a goal scorer, but it is odd that nine games in, Grizzlick has zero points. Um but there are guys, you know, Eric Holla feels snake bitten. Craig Smith, obviously, was you missed some time, but his production hasn't been there when he's been in the lineup, even though it's probably safe to assume he's battling some sort of injury. So offensively, it feels like outside, even with the top line guys, you know, obviously, Pasternak, the Bruins are waiting to get going. Bergeron had four goals the other night, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, but it feels like after that line, which is, a, I guess, a tale as old as time, <laughs> after that first line, the depth scoring is having trouble. Um, well, what needs to switch? What needs to change for those middle six and even the fourth line? What needs to change for those guys? They got to keep pounding the rock. They just have to keep skating hard and, and, and getting puck. The biggest thing is just get shots to the net. Uh, when, when a, when a, when a shooter's quote unquote snake bit, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of factors to that. And, and one of the questions, you know, what you look at it, is he getting any scoring chances? Where are they getting quality scoring chances? And in Hollis case, he's had a couple really nice chances. just hasn't gone in. So law of averages says eventually it's going to go in. Now, is it going to go into the level that the Bruins were hoping? I mean, he had a really nice preseason and that's, I think part of the frustration that Hollis is, is probably feeling. And he's, and he's, again, they're human beings in a perfect world what he was doing in the in the preseason exhibition schedule would have carried right over. I mean, he did have a really nice assist on Jake DeBrusque's game-winning goal in game one, but that's been it. But he's had some nice plays. The one that comes to mind is when Taylor Hall set him up and he went right to the front and just, you know, it was a great save, unfortunately. Otherwise, that would have been a very nice first goal as a Bruin, but well, make no mistake, he's got to be better. Craig Smith's got to be better. Uh, one of the things Craig Smith did last year is he got off to a pretty good start you know, Bruce Cassidy was talking about how he was able to move him up the lineup pretty quickly, and he was playing with Bergeron at one point, and eventually settled in on that second line with Krejci because he just he was productive and he was making play. And there was a time when he got really hot. 
but it was volume shots. It was it was being around the net, buzzing the tower, as they say, and, and and just working pucks to the net. And eventually, if you do that enough, your shots are going to go in. It's when when you're not getting many shots or you're not able to get to the net for whatever reason or you just don't have any puck luck. It all just kind of snowballs and, and compounds. And so, you know, Trent Frederick, I mean, he was not drafted to be a, a, a top scorer. But Speaking of hope. draft issues that they've had in the past, uh, <laughs> that's kind of why. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they, 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 you know, I, I, look, he's, a, he was a great athlete. He was tough. He's big. I think they were looking at, at him as, as a, as a player who was going to do some things, you know, at the time people forget they had not yet even signed David Backus. They were a few, that was the year that they signed David Backus in free agency. So there was a definite move afoot for the Bruins to get bigger, stronger, heavier. And they had just traded Lucic, correct, the year before? So they were kind of missing that. They thought that that was at the tail end of when you really needed a power forward. So I think that was because they traded Lucic in the summer of 15, and then that was the summer of 16. Yes. So at the time, I remember interviewing Trent Frederick in Buffalo, which is where the draft was held. And he was talking about his hero growing up. His his hockey idol was David Backus because he was a St. Louis kid. And so just a matter of days later, Backus was signed. Now, it didn't work out. I think Charlie Coyle has been what the Bruins were hoping David Backus was going to be. And, he, you know, I want to say I want to give Coyle some credit because he's gotten off to a pretty decent start offensively as a, you know, on that second line. I mean, he's not tearing it up, but he's at least scoring and providing some consistent offense and showing some, some, some chemistry with Taylor Hall. Can you imagine, you think the pitchfork brigade in Boston after Derek <laughs> Forber. Yeah. And you imagine if, if Charlie Coyle was goose eggs, what, what would be going on right now? So to his credit, I mean, he's, you know, he, I think he's he's in a much better points per game pace than he was a year ago. He looks, I think that that surgery did did wonders for him, and he's 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 that heavy guy. And I don't I don't know that Charlie Coyle is ever. You know, he's not really a classic second line center. Um, he's more of a middle of the roster guy who's just great character and tough to play against and heavy. But uh, but I will say this for him, he's he's filling in that role very tough very big pair of skates to fill. He's doing it admirably, all things considered. It's the thing with Charlie is he's going to have to keep it up because, it, you know, if he goes long stretches without, you know, putting up some points in production or that, that second line stalls. I mean, then again, the, the, the critics and the, and the focus is going to shift. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think Craig Smith and, and, and Eric Holler really are the guys that more than anything really need to get that, secondary scoring going because expectations wise Trent Frederick's just not expected like if he scores that's a it's bonus time you know he's a fourth line guy he's tough he's hard to play against but uh, he's not he's not going to ever score 30 goals in the NHL Uh, he might be lucky to have 20 in his career to be honest with you so um, and that's probably unfair I think he's a better player than that but right now it's all about you know, getting getting balance. You want balance out of your roster. You can't afford to, to to continue to have just the same couple of guys or the same line producing night in and night out because teams are just too good. They're gonna watch the video and the film. They're gonna adjust. They're going to get the match, especially on the road. You know, at home, coaches have a big advantage with that last line change. You know, they can they can generate really good coaches, and and, and Bruce Cassidy is one. 
can generate really nice favorable matchups. I mean, what's Boston's record at home? Oh God, put me on the spot here. Uh they have it's better than on the road, right? Well, much they, better. Yes, they've, yes. They've won all their games, or they haven't. Lost I was gonna say it's home. it's all the games, right? They haven't lost a game exactly. yet. Exactly. Right. So you know, again, that set, that last line change, right? When you can see who your opponent puts out, and then you can match and you can create favorable matchups. I mean, there's that that can really have you know that home ice advantage can move large now. On the road, you have to put out your your guys first, and then that that team can adjust to you. And so, right now, uh, the way you break those those matchup challenges on the road is you have a balanced lineup, and you're getting production from everyone, to, you know, top to bottom. And that's just not happening right now. So I think you know the Bruins are definitely going to have to they're going to have to 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 buckle down. And I think you know in Hall's case, it's not for a lack of effort. It's just you know it's not for a lack of opportunities. It's just, they're just not going in. But he's better than that. We certainly saw it. Yeah, it's funny, though, because, like, I think with this team, with Krejci being gone and the money going towards depth guys, right, Hala and Nosek and Felino, and obviously Felino's been hurt, you know, you, you have to get more – you know, you're not going to get 70 points out of coil. We know that. But you need the depth scoring, right? You need the third line to right. be scoring. You need the fourth line to chip in a bit. And the second line to still kind of tread water and then you'll be fine. And that's also kind of a good thing in a way to be more spread out, right? Because we've seen so many times over the past few years, this Bruins team gets shut down in the playoffs somehow because someone just shuts down the top line and then the other lines don't really pitch in. So yes, offensively things need to be a lot better, but somewhere that things were pretty good over these past, uh, well, really just, uh, against, uh, the Red Wings on, uh, Thursday night was Patrice Bergeron, four goals, incredible, uh, all three of the four being power play goals. It was sort of a revitalization um, of just uh, of the power play. And Bergeron, and you tweeted this, did very well on Twitter, 800 likes. That's never something to sneeze at. You can't be mad at that. I'll take it. Um, on the, on, he said, on the train home after the game last night, couldn't help but think about what Patrice Bergeron has accomplished for this franchise, 36 years old and a four-goal game, something he didn't do at 24 or 25. Like Tom Brady, enjoy every moment because when he's gone, won't see another like 37. And then you nail it at the end because you won't see another like Patrice Bergeron. I think that's something that a lot of people are sort of figuring out because when you look at the Bruins over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of players you might not see again. You're not going to see another Zdeno Chara. 6'9", you know, dominant both ends for as long as he was. Not really going to see someone like that. Tuka Rask, another guy. I mean, you'll see really good goalies. But it's hard to lock, and you know this, it's really hard to lock down as consistent and as good a goalie as Tuka Rask for years and years. Even a guy like David Krejci, you know, you're going to have good other centers, but it's hard, as as the Bruins have demonstrated over the past few years, to develop a really good, you know, patient center like Krejci. And Bergeron's on another level, right, because the leadership and everything he brings and I think it just goes to show people should really kind of appreciate what's going on now. Live in the moment a bit, because as you said, ain't nobody like Bergeron and there probably won't be again. So I think you nailed it with that. I mean, it, where does he rank in sort of the guys that you've watched and, 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 uh, understood in a sense? I mean, where, where is he on that list? I feel like probably at the top. He's one of the greatest <laughs> of all time. Uh, and, and again, he's, uh, He's a classic example of you don't have to have 80, 90, 100 points to be a Hall of Fame hockey player uh, because he's just such a quality player in all, all facets of the game. And he's the, he's the classic 
case of just a winning hockey player and how how important that is. And, you know, it starts with his maturity and his seriousness. Um, I had I had the opportunity really it was it was it changed my career as a, as a writer and, and covering the Bruins. But I was at his hotel and when he was drafted and I had a chance to sit down with him. You know, and the day, and that was in the old days when you didn't have a Friday night draft. The draft was Saturday and Sunday, and I think it was rounds one to three were on on Saturday, and then rounds four to nine it was a nine round draft back then. Um, oh, wow. After the lockout in in two thousand five, they 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 shortened it down to seven rounds. But so I had it. He was drafted in the second round, and and he was rated pretty high. He was rated as a first rounder by Central Scouting, but because he played in that backwater in Bathurst. Uh, a lot of people didn't know about him. He wasn't a flashy dynamic player, uh, you know, put up good points, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't expected to be uh, uh, just a, you know, he, he, he was rated high because he did so many things well. And I think those scouts that were putting him on the central list, I want to say he was 28, something like that. Um, I, you know, which is good. Like that's, that's yes, a solid second round selection. <laughs> it's not like he was, uh, you know, came out of nowhere, but those, the, the people that had a chance to see him knew what he could be because he was so smart, but he worked so hard and he was so serious. And what I remember about him, there's this myth out there that he didn't speak English and he's kind of, kind of propagated this a little bit. I think what, he, what he's trying to say is he didn't speak English as well as he, as he does, you know, and he certainly had a really thick, thick French accent when I met him, but he was 17 years old. And I, I think that, that the interview I had with him that day and the conversation I had, because when I turned the, the recorder off, that was when I really learned about Patrice Bergeron um, because he were, you know, I, I got to see how real he was. And, and I was just, I was just really taken aback by just his maturity and, 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 and how serious he was. And, and it wasn't like he was saying things like, Hey, I'm going to go make the Bruins at 18. And I'm not going to sit here and say I knew he was going to do that and that he was a future Hall of Fame player. But I figured he was going to be something because he was so unlike most of the typical teenagers I had I had talked to in, the, in my draft coverage up until that point and even since. And, you know, he had already hired uh, a strength and conditioning coach. He had hired a skating coach because he knew his, his skating was subpar. Uh, he was getting stronger, and he understood that, you know, with him, he's not he wasn't overly tall, so he had to have that strong core. I think what keeps uh, 18-year-olds typically from reaching the NHL is not that they're not, not able to skate or they're skilled enough. It's that they're not strong enough, and teams are concerned. See that with about, a guy like Jack Hughes. Exactly, right? And, and you know, it's an 82-game season, and teams are, they, you know, they're, if, if they're drafted a kid in the first round, especially, you know, higher, higher up, they, they have a really important investment in that, in that player. And so what they don't want to do is, you know, ruin their investment by either you know, rushing him too soon and getting him hurt and, and destroying his confidence or any myriad things that could happen with, if you have an 18 year old in the NHL. Uh, and so for a kid like Bergeron to make it as a second rounder, he, he obviously had to, to, to demonstrate that he had the ability but I think one of the things that really helped him was his maturity, his focus, his intelligence. And then ultimately he, he was a strong, thick core, you know, he would, you know, guys would try to hit him and blow him up and he would just absorb hits. And, and he was so smart. He would, a lot of times wasn't in position to take a direct, you know, big body hit. And, and these guys, I was talking about these quote unquote, shut down, stay at home defensemen. Uh, he made, he made, you know, 
snacks out of those guys because he was just a lot smarter and he wouldn't allow himself to get into that situation where they could could physically manhandle him. He stayed out of away from their reach and he used his own vision and, and instincts to make plays against guys like that. And then it just as he went on, he got he got more experienced. And you know, we're we're so fortunate to have witnessed Patrice Bergeron's career in Boston because it almost didn't happen. When he got hit from behind by Randy Jones, uh, there were there, there was talk that he might not ever be the same player. He might not be, you know, and, and he was one hit away from from oblivion. And 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 let's be honest, it, it, that hasn't changed. I mean, he's he's suffered you know traumatic brain injury, and 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 that stuff always you know it stays in the back of your mind. But what he's been able to do in his career since 2008, when in, it was late 2007, when he took the hit. Uh, he's he's learned to protect himself better and just again his his experience and his awareness has allowed him to play a a a smart brand of hockey to where he's not necessarily in those positions to where an opponent could 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 you know put him in a situation where he, he you know his career might end but that's a credit to Bergeron and it takes it takes skill it takes intelligence and it, and it takes luck but the what Boston fans have gotten out of him you know, in the, let's say 13 years since that happened is just, uh, it's a treat. And you're, and I say, you're not going to see him again because the way he's wired and just his personality, like, like, and I, and I had it in my column, but I'll share the story. And it came from his, his agent, Kent Hughes, when he was 18 years old and he was in the, on the Bruins, he understood that he was doing things that took so much out of him that he, he had to rest. And so he was sleeping upwards of 12 or 13 hours a day um, because it was such a, but, but again, you have to understand a lot of these younger kids these days, what are they, they're not sleeping 12 or 13 hours. They're playing video games. They're not. Snapchat, <laughs> right. And they're doing, you know, and this was, this was, a, this was a player that was in the NHL at 18 who said, Hey, I have got to get rest because what I'm doing demands that I be at my peak level of conditioning. And he knew that as an 18 year old. So no one should be surprised at age 36. He's a lot. And I, and I, and I told Bruce Cassidy, when I asked the question, I said, I hesitate to go here and, and, and invoke the Tom Brady comparison, but I see similarities between Bergeron and Brady. And I, I really do in terms of how they've been better in their thirties than their twenties. And in Brady's case, he's my goodness, he's 44 and doing what he's doing right yeah. so he's out of his 30s right yeah. Like, yeah if you look at brady like he put up his hall he, he established his hall of fame statistical credentials in his 30s not his 20s i mean he won the super bowls you know he won three super bowls in his 20s but you know it was just it was just it was 2007 when he was a 30 year old that he had his 50 touchdown season you know, he, he and also he 30s. he's had a whole nother hall of fame career in his late 30s and 40s which is wild Correct. yeah but that gets back to the similarities between between Bergeron and Brady are that they take phenomenal care of themselves and their 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 bodies are in the best possible shape. And I think being around Zidane Chara helped them. I think being around Mark Recchi helped them because Recchi played into his forties. And Recchi wasn't a, a a machine in terms of his conditioning and his and his fitness and, and, and what he was eating necessarily. But he understood what he had to do and every year he was ready to go. He was always prepared. And, uh, you know, again, Hall of Fame career and, and won a Stanley Cup going away with the with, with the Boston Bruins. But those kind of role models, I think, really 
reinforced what Bergeron already, already had. And then you add what Bruce Cassidy said is, is the best, the, the most important aspect that Brady and Bergeron have in common. And that's their alter, they're like genius level IQ as it pertains to their sport, you know, their vision, their instincts, their, their, their ability to look at what's going on process instantly. And that's why Bergeron has four selfie trophies. This guy shouldn't have four. If you look, he's, he's a, he is an average at best skater. Okay. Oh, hundred percent. He's not, 100%. he's not, he's not big, but, but why has he been among the greatest defensive players of all time? And, and I, you know, I watched Bob Gainey growing up and, yeah, I've got a little bias and I wasn't, you know, as a, as a Bruins fan growing up, I didn't have much love for the Habs, but, but Bergeron is just, again, his, his ability to win draws and, and face-offs, his ability to kill penalties and to anticipate and, uh, and, and know and be where the puck is going to, going to go and, and just make plays consistently over all 200 feet of the ice. That's what makes him special. So uh, it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure to see him. I, I grew up watching a guy named Donnie Marcotte when I was a kid, and I thought Donnie Marcotte was pretty darn good. And when I first went, when I was watching, not initially, because Bergeron, he started out like and he had a he had a couple seventy point seasons, and people were thinking, man, you know, he's gonna he's gonna go to ninety or a hundred here. Yeah, oh five, oh six, he had seventy three, oh six, oh seven, he had seventy, and then he Correct. didn't come, he didn't hit seventy again until he was thirty three years old. Just a few years Correct. ago. Right. And that was the, you know, he, when that concussion, I think, and I think he re kind of reinvented himself a little bit just in terms of his focus of what he needed to do to, you know, coming out of that concussion. And, you know, the, the team wasn't necessarily asking him to score because of other players. And David Krejci was a guy that kind of emerged as that, that more of that irregular playmaking point, point guy uh, at that time. Uh, but, but with with Bergeron, I think I was saying around 2009, 2010, I was like, oh, you know, he's kind of like Marcotte. And looking back on it, that was ridiculous because he's so he's so much more, you know, you know, in terms of defensively, offensively, and, and the kind of impact. And I'm not taking anything away from Don Marcotte. I I thought for Bergeron to be a pretty, you know, even being mentioned in the same breath as Donnie Marcotte, that was a, that was a pretty nice compliment, but to see what he's been able to do, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's inspired a whole generation of Bruins fans. And a lot of the young players when I would, that were from Boston, when I would interview him for the draft, uh, he was always their favorite player. Now I'm noticing that Brad Marchand is the guy that's getting a lot of love and David Posternock. Like when you, when you, when you talk to these younger draft eligible guys, uh, you know, they're coming up and comers, more guys are kind of shifting to Marshawn and, and, and pasta and that's fine. Um, but for a long time here, over the last 10 years or so, it was always, it was Bergeron, Bergeron, Bergeron. And that's not an accident. He just plays the right way. Oh, hundred percent. And I think I'm going to ask you the million to end the show. I'm going to ask you the million sure. dollar question, but before we get to the million dollar question, the question I'm going to ask you is a little, gets people a little scared, right? You know, you need to chill out a bit. So to help chill out, when I ask such tough questions, let's talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensary, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting that it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in even if just to learn more. These places are very fun uh, and very cool to go inside. The staff are authorities on the science 
who answer every question from differences between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia, anxiety, or just a good time to hang out with friends. Insta has a world-class head chef too, and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing. The Insta founders are not these guys from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from beautiful Springfield, Massachusetts. So there's another local team to root for, and that is Insa. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just off I-91, beside the MGM Casino. Mention that we at Bruins Beat said to stop by, and you will get a sweet t-shirt for a penny. For one penny, you get a cool t-shirt. I wear them all the time. They sent a bunch to me. I love them. Go to Insta.com or 877-500-INSA. Again, 877-500-INSA. Say we sent you and enjoy the great t-shirt and enjoy the great time that you will have there. So the million-dollar question, Kirk, what is the future of Patrice Bergeron? Where does he go? Obviously, the contract ends this year. He says he's going to see how he feels at the end of the year. That typically doesn't always mean good things. In your uh, expert opinion, where do you think or what do you think happens to him after this year? Well, it's probably my inexpert opinion because I had the David Krejci thing totally wrong. Oh, uh, uh, it's no I, big I deal. Stand, I, no, I stand, I stand by it. Like, like it, things were gone, and I, I should have never gone out with that. I got, got over my skis there. But, you know, you live and you learn. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. He, uh, Bergeron is wired differently than most. I think family really matters to him. And uh, he's at that he's at that stage of his career where his kids are are younger and and getting older and getting to that stage where they're going to be more involved in hockey sports. I mean, we assume they're going to be hockey players, and uh, you know that might be a bad assumption. But you know, as he goes on, you know, he's not he's not driven the way the same way Tom Brady is. You know, like he's not motivated by snubs and slights and people doubting him. Like he's always that's a, another great thing about Bergeron that I didn't mention is he's always been really comfortable in his own skin um he's 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 perfectly fine just going out and playing and winning games and winning gold olympic gold medals and world championships and world junior championships and stanley cups and 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 for him he's not it's not like he's he's out against the world to show everyone that they were wrong because i don't think he ever really felt like he was doubted in the first place i think he was thrilled to be drafted by the bruins in the second round and He's just, he's different in that regard. So I don't see him playing until he's 40, 41, 42. I could be wrong, but I think he's, he's probably going to be, you know, he's, he's probably going to be more leaning to, to the path of, Hey, I need, it's time to, it's time to take care of my family. What more really do I have to prove? He doesn't have to prove anything. He'd walk away from the game tomorrow and he'd still be a first ballot hall of famer. Uh, and, you know, he's closing in on a thousand points, but, and, you know, again, David Krejci was closing in on a thousand games, and I thought for sure he would see it through. He'd get to that thousand game NHL mar- milestone, and then and then walk away, and he didn't. So these guys are motivated motivated by different things. I could certainly see, you know, when Patrice and and I and I really believe he'll probably finish his career with the Bruins. How much longer that'll be, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. That's up to him, and and I'm going to respect his wishes to where he said he didn't want to get into it. And I'm going to respect him by not speculating what he's going to do. I will just say that when he walks away, you know, he is going to do it because it's the time's right. And he has a chance to be his family. And I don't think, I don't see him jumping into a, an NHL job right away. For example, I could see him being kind of like what Ray Bork did and coaching his kids and taking time to, to reconnect with his family and kind of stay closer to home. I think he could, 
absolutely be involved in the game at a high level at some point, whenever he wants to. And, um, you know, whether it's a coach, whether it's a general manager, or whether it's something like that, he certainly has the intelligence, but I don't know if that's the kind of stuff that really, really matters to him at the end of the day. Uh, he's, he's just different than, than some of the, some of the, the people out there and that I think he, he's probably going to prioritize his personal life and, and, and building relationships that he's not been able to, to, to have the same kind of time and energy and effort into because of the, the, the schedule of a professional hockey player and the demands and, and being away from home. I could just see that being his number one priority. And you know what? Uh, I think whatever Patrice Bergeron does, he's going to kill it just like he did in his NHL career because that's just how he is. Oh, 100%. And also, I think people sometimes forget, you know, yes, he is 36, but he's been in the league for 18 seasons. That's a lot of miles. 18 seasons, 18 full seasons. It would have been more if not for the lockout, right? Yep, it would would have been 19. It would have been 19. So you can can add another to that if you want to. So, I mean, he's been around for a long time. And I think people sometimes forget that. And they, you know, obviously there's so many examples around here, people playing into their 40s with Brady and Char and even like Mark Recchi back in the day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of options with him. Uh, my theory on it has been if he's, if he, you know, has a lot of injuries this year, he might call it quits at the end. Uh, but I think either way, I think he's, if he stays, I think he's signing one year deal, one year deals type things or two year deals, short term stuff to sort of evaluate at the end of every year. But we will see when the time comes, whenever it does. Bruins fans will all be very, very sad as they should be. I mean, guy like Bergeron doesn't pop up all the time. Uh, Kirk, before you go, uh, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, what you guys do, uh, what, what else would you like to plug, uh, that you guys do that the people should be on the lookout for? Well, I mean, again, hockeyjournal.com, we're covering hockey at all levels. And so we're, we're building a, you know, I'm on, I'm on your podcast. I appreciate it. We're building our pod, but the, the, the goal of our podcast, uh, rink wise, New England hockey journals, rink wise podcast is to, to help players and parents and coaches and really people, you know, whether you're fans or, or, or you're just connected to the game, interested, give them kind of a roadmap. And so I'm ta- having serious discussions with serious hockey people about, their journey, like what they did, what, you know, how did they, how did they do it? And, uh, you know, had a great podcast episode with Bobby Farnham, for example, who, you know, from, from, uh, North Andover, who just, uh, really, you know, he was a, he was a, a prep player who went right to Brown and just battled his and, 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 and grinded and, and got his way to the NHL. And he was in a, in a, in a locker room with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, he said, great, great Bobby Farnham story. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. He said, you know, he said there should be a, should have been a sign in the, in the Penguins room that said, we win a lot of games here. And, and you know, and, and I just, those kinds of insights are, are, are priceless. They're invaluable. And, and again, I'm trying to just build up the uh, reputation of the, of the podcast and, you know, New England Hockey Journal. That's what we're really about. We're about, giving people insights that they're not necessarily going to get anyone out anywhere else, but to really kind of help them see what a possible roadmap could be uh, in their own process, whether they're going to, you know, go on to be division one players, whether they're going to maybe play D three, you know, future pro careers, or whether they're just going to be good prep players or town players, but they just love the game and they want to be as successful as possible. And so that's what we're here for. We want to inform uh, we want to inspire and we want to give insights that, you know, and we know you have to subscribe. You're, you don't have open access to everything we offer without, you know, without uh, 
subscribing, but we really feel like our product's worth it. And our team of writers are, are on top of their game. And now, uh, you know, the more the merrier, we'd love to have you, you join us and give us a shot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, and nobody does insight like you, my friend. So, uh, thank you again for Appreciate joining. That. For CLNS Media, I'm F. Marinovsky. You Bruins be listeners. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>